We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. going on everybody welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace and here for the knockout punch it's the one and only michael tyson Fachi. Fachi, what's going on brother Woo! somehow they're getting better and better alex i'll definitely take that one but man it just feels good to get the band back together yes everybody you heard it right the boys are back in town <laughs> oh my gosh did you uh did you see the recent thing that went uh, viral on social media about Mike Tyson? I did not. What did okay, I so this is where you're kind of missing the inside joke. I, I, I saw one tweet, and basically somebody on Instagram put out, put out this thing where Mike Tyson was basically paying somebody to date his daughter or what? marry his daughter. I did not hear that. Okay, so, so check this story out. Mike Tyson, uh, somebody said Mike Tyson is going to pay someone to marry his daughter. And then he messages Mike Tyson and was like, the guy that posted that was like, I will gladly marry your daughter for millions of money. And he was like, if, he's like, this is fake. He's like, she's happily in a relationship. If you don't take this down, I'll beat you up, basically. And he had a lot of different profanity words in there. But oh, my God. We'll have to check that out, Faji. It was pretty intense. I was cracking up when I saw it. But uh, regardless, let's move on. We got a lot to talk about today, Faji. But first, we finally got some transaction news over the weekend. I think it was on Friday when the news was announced, Flachi, but we have a couple of different players coming to the team. Absolutely. One of which, and look, we've been dying for news out here, so we'll take anything we can get. One of which, the Pacers signed 13-year NBA veteran James Johnson. James yeah. Johnson, you know, might not be really known for his stats, but James Johnson is also known for arguably being the toughest guy in the NBA. This is someone who was undefeated in his MMA and kickboxing career. So when we've talked about adding toughness, James Johnson is toughness. He's been around the block. He's been on winning teams. And I feel like this is kind of the veteran presence that maybe the Pacers could have lacked in some of the previous years. Yeah, he does have um, some time under Rick Carlisle back in 2020. So I think that definitely helps a lot, knowing that there's familiarity there. As far as I know, I have not seen terms of the contract, Fachi. Neither have I. So there is a chance that he actually could be a non-guaranteed contract as well, which I think the Pacers probably probably wanted to have someone like that on there. Mm-hmm. Just in case they make a trade where they have to take an extra player, they can waive somebody without having to pay them. So I'm keeping an eye on that to see if that contract is partially guaranteed, non-guaranteed, or fully guaranteed. I'm sure we'll find the details of that out later. Um, like we have talked about before, 
It wasn't official until Friday, but Kendall Brown gets on a two-way contract instead of a standard contract with the Pacers. I know some fans were not happy with that news, but I think the reason, like I just said with James Johnson, the Pacers kept that spot open for so long was for roster flexibility. I believe that whether you want to say you like it or not, I do believe that the Pacers were in somewhat of a discussion with the Lakers for the rush trade. If they would have had to have taken on more players back, this would have kept up, uh, kept open that roster flexibility. So I think now with them signing James Johnson, if that contract's you know guaranteed, it'd probably be a little bit more difficult to make a move like that. So I think that kind of closes the door a little bit on the Lakers' rest stuff. But at the same time, I'm not sure what that contract's going to be like for James Johnson. But Kendall Brown gets a two way. Uh, I think that's a good deal for him, and it gives him a chance to prove himself. It is, and we did think that this would happen. I know in front of the show, Zach Pearson reported this a while ago. I mean, I'd say over a month ago, but there was so much that was up in the air that nothing was official by any means. Um, And I I do think this is a good opportunity for Kendall Brown because we've talked about it. This was a guy that was a top 15 recruit in college, was expected to be a first-round pick, but didn't really get to put it all together. So Is he NBA ready? Eh, I really don't know. Does he have the potential? Yes. This is exactly why I feel like the G League is the perfect spot for Kendall Brown. So you can bring him along slowly. And at this point, James Johnson, having not signed with anyone else, not really been linked to any other teams, I think that he was fine signing uh, a non-guaranteed contract, even if we don't officially have that information. Yeah, we'll have to monitor that, Faji. Just kind of guessing here, but... Um, you never know. I mean, isn't he's an older guy, so he might want the guaranteed money, but he might just be looking for a chance to get back in the lead. And I, uh, in the league, excuse me, and I agree with you. It's one of those things where you would like to have a veteran on this team now. And if you look at the roster in totality, it looks like they have a veteran presence at every position on the roster. So I think that might be key here as well to try and just add some depth where these guys can maybe give some basic pointers out to these young fellas that they're looking to kind of mold and shape into the future of this team. But with that being said, Pachi, we also had some more players signed. Do you want me to tell uh, tell you who they were, or do you already know? Uh, Well, another one, uh, definitely a notable name, David Stockton, son of John Stockton. I mean, look, big shoes to fill when when you're one of the greatest point guards' sons, but David Stockton is someone who has been battling to get it, make his way back to the league. He's been in and out of it. He's undersized. He's 5'11", 165 pounds. So, you know, maybe yeah. typically what your average person looks like in real life. Uh, a couple coffee, a couple games in the NBA before, but recently was coming over from the Memphis Hustle. The Pacers had actually traded with the Memphis Hustle. I believe it was a third-round pick for next year uh, to be able to acquire David Stockton last year with the Memphis Hustle. He averaged 18.3 points per game, five assists per game, 1.6 steals per game. Uh, just an overall, you know, shot 44% from three, which definitely you got to share. Because it was on a good sample size of about five and a half attempts. Overall, one of those fringe NBA guys that will be battling for a spot with the Pacers. Yeah, I think right now with the way the roster is constructed, you got your 15-man roster with Kendall Brown on a two-way, and the Pacers brought in four guys on Exhibit 10 deals to really kind of, prove themselves for that um, that other deal there, Fachi, for the other two-way deals. So like you said, David Stockton previous with the Memphis Hustle, the Mad Ants already acquired him, so he's already on the Mad Ants. So we know that's that, and that's a good thing because they already kind of have control of mm-hmm. him to a certain degree unless a team signs him. But Benny Boatwright was also another name brought in. Uh, previously, a couple months ago, I think Michael Scott was the first reporter, was uh, Servetus, or yeah, Davidus Servetus was brought in. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that, so I apologize. I, I'm not perfect with that name pronunciation, but uh, he was the first guy brought in on an Exhibit 10 deal. And then, obviously, a guy the Pacer fans are familiar with, he played with the team in the Summer League, and he was actually on a two-way last year before the season ended, and that's Gabe York. So those four players there are probably competing for that final two-way spot, and the Pacers, I think, are just looking at getting some young guys in that can help their G League team. Um, I'm not sure who's going to end up getting it, Fachi. We talked about it off air a little bit. It feels like Servetus is probably the most likely candidate, saying that he was signed much earlier than the other three, and we already know that Stockton is on the G League team already. So 
I think this is where it's going to be interesting for training camp coming up next week. But other than that, I just think the biggest news here is obviously James Johnson being brought onto the roster. It definitely was. And to touch on James Johnson again real quick, a 13-year veteran who's made a career out of being a role player. And I know some some videos have gone trending recently on Twitter. Thad Young was one recently that was talking to the kids about carve out a role. Like, everybody can't be the star player, but you can make a career out of that. And I do think that James Johnson is one of those guys that has never been anything even close to a star in the league. It's not, you know, a shot at him, but he's carved out a career. And overall, I think that that's someone that can teach some of these youngsters how to just be a pro. How long does he stick around? I really don't know. But I do think that James Johnson is someone that could directly help a Terry Taylor in the league and Isaiah Jackson, you know, uh, even Jalen Smith, guys like that that are going to be playing the forward position that, you know, still could learn to how to be a professional night in, night out. So some of the other guys that you mentioned, like, just to touch on Benny Boatwright, look, the Pacers clearly are familiar with him. You know, he's played with the Pacers the last couple of years in, in summer league. It mm. hasn't worked out. He's 26 years old now. So it, it's not like he's still really young, but seems to be that that fringe guy that they, they keep close tabs on. So uh, I, I understand it. But then also, Alex, as it relates to that, that two-way contract, I mean, Gabe York was the guy that had it last. What do you think about Gabe York this year? I mean, I th- I <laughs> I remember last year I was kind of disappointed the Pacers didn't give Gabe York. I, I was with you. Um, Lighting it up per- in the G League. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, I think he had thirty some points. He had like, <laughs> set a record for most threes or whatever. Yep. And the Orlando Magic offered him a uh, a COVID deal basically, and I'm like, why can't the Pacers do this? Half their guys are on a COVID roster. He's on their own team, and they're not even giving him a chance. Um, and it was funny because I don't even think he got to play with the Magic because he ended up getting COVID. Yeah, as he was traveling there. So just a a major bummer for him. The Pacers ended up bringing him up during the final couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And it was one of those things where um, I actually thought he played okay towards the end of the season, but you could clearly tell he was not an everyday rotation player. But, you know, similar to acquiring David Stockton, the Pacers did acquire Benny Boatwright in a trade with the Memphis Hustle. So, you know, they, the Maddens and the Hustle have had a few different transactions here. And, uh, you know, I think Boatwright having that knee injury that was pretty, you know, pretty significant really ended up kind of hurting him a little bit. But I thought he was impressive in the summer league. And I like I like York. I, I'm curious to see what Stockton can do. Obviously, it's more interesting because of the, the name. It it's is. John Stockton's son. So, you know, however you feel about John Stockton, now that's on a different level. In yeah, terms of exactly. We're talking retirement. about, yeah, ex- exactly. As a player, I mean, as a player, John Stockton was a heck of a guy. So, uh, you know, but I think we need to just kind of wrap this up talking about James Johnson once again, Flatchy, because, you know, I was kind of curious, what are they going to do with, with Kendall Brown here? And, and if they have this open roster spot, why haven't they added a 15th person to the spot if it's not going to be Kendall Brown? And we've kind of heard this from a lot of veterans across the league. They don't want the veterans in there anymore. They want the young guys in there. They want as many young guys as possible. They keep knocking veterans out of the league. So the pushback on all of this was, oh, so where's Lance Stevenson at? So in my opinion, I understand why fans are upset. I think that the Pacers could have brought him back. But looking at the roster, I put a tweet out basically saying, we have two wings, five bigs, seven guards, and whatever you want to classify Terry Taylor as, Fashi. Mm-hmm. That is how you look at this roster. Unfortunately, Lance is a guard. He yes. he can play the three a little bit, but not very much. So he's mostly a guard, and I think the Pacers were looking to get a little bit more size and someone with a little bit of a different dog mentality than Lance Stevenson. So um, I wouldn't say the door is completely slammed shut, but it feels like that's where it's at right now. But I think if you look at the veterans that they have on this roster at every position, you've got McConnell at point guard, Buddy Heald at shooting guard, James Johnson now at small forward, and then Daniel Tice and Miles Turner are your veteran big men. I think having those five big men with your other 10 players that are very young does kind of help in terms of trying to develop good habits. Uh, uh, it's a really good move to have those kind of veterans for a young rebuilding team. No, it, it really is. It, it really is. Like, Lance, I also feel like 
it gives the Pacers almost like an out that he was a free agent and, you know, it's like not picking up his contract rather than signing him to a non-guaranteed deal and cutting him at any point. So um, this was probably a little bit of an easier way to be like, all right, well, let's bring in the vet over here compared to you bring in Lance. We've talked about it. You don't bring in Lance just to rot on the bench. The fans love him too much. So very rarely do do players tiptoe that line where – they can't just be the 15th man because it wouldn't be good enough for us. We would need to see him out there and it would become, you know, create a little bit of noise, you know, for better or worse, because just because we love him. Uh, but at the same point, it would kind of uh, put a little bit of pressure on, you know, why isn't he in there on a nightly basis compared to James Johnson, who realistically could be on the roster, not have to play each night and it wouldn't ruffle anyone's feathers. Yeah, if you remember, I put out a tweet about a couple months ago, and I basically just kind of gave an update on Lance Stevenson and what his status would be, yep. you know, um, from the from the source that I had. And, and mm-hmm. basically, Lance was willing to accept that 15th man role. But I think, you know, from what I've heard, him coming back last year was a Herb Simon thing. He wanted to get butts in the seats. And I think that it yeah. would play a little bit of a factor in terms of getting butts in the seats. But I also think they were just more focused on trying to develop the right guys and not have the fans kind of pressure them into playing Lance. I don't think Rick Carlisle was going to be affected by what the fans wanted. Um, But I think it takes away some of the pressure that could be there to play Lance minutes because of how electric he is with the fan base. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a bummer for sure, but I'll just say this um, when I reached out again to the, to that source, everything is the same. Nothing has changed. Uh, Lance would still like to play in the NBA. He wanted to play for the Pacers. It's his first preference, but you know, right now there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunities there. So um, we'll see if he gets another chance to come back in the league. But uh, right now um, it doesn't look like there's very many doors open for him to come back into the league. So I, I think, you know, something to monitor throughout the season, if there's injuries, maybe they give him a call or something like that, but um, just doesn't feel like, there's much light at the end of the tunnel there in terms of Lance coming back to the Pacers. Yeah, and look, if if you guys have been following this team, uh, you know, as, as long as we have or you're just – you're all in like we are, you know to never say never as it relates to a Pacers and Lance reunion because there's he's been a three-time Pacer. So crazier things could happen. However, Alex, I saw a list out there of some of the veterans – that are out there in the league that remain unsigned. And it's a pretty long list. I mean, there are a lot of guys that have made real solid contributions in this league that are left on the outside. I mean, my boy, Carmel Anthony. I mean, you got Rondo out there. There's, you know, DeMarcus Cousins. There's a ton of other guys. I think I could be wrong about Blake Griffin. I don't know. There's, there's a ton of guys out there that have done a lot of really good stuff in the league, but they remain unsigned because – the league is getting younger and younger. There are fewer veterans to go around. You know, we love Lance, but obviously some of the teams that are rebuilding are prioritizing, you know, young guys that could still, you know, maybe didn't work out in the first spot. And I think with Lance, you really know what you're getting, and it's going to be probably more filling in for a team that has some injuries. Well, it's it's interesting because, like, you bring up the Marcus Cousins. Well, he played decent, I thought, last year for the he, Nuggets. He did. But – all of a sudden, the Nuggets don't bring him back, and they signed DeAndre Jordan. It's like, yeah, that was interesting. DeAndre Jordan don't have the same skill set as DeMarcus Cousins, no. so nope. both have lost their athleticism. I didn't get that, but maybe maybe DeAndre Jordan's a better locker room presence. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of veterans out there, and one of the veterans you didn't bring up was Jeremy Lamb. He just worked out with the Lakers sure. for Michael Scotto. Um, I think he could actually make some sense of the Lakers team based on where they're at right now. Uh, they need wing depth, and I think – while he's not the greatest uh, player overall, he's got a good shot. So mm-hmm. um, offensively, I think he could help him. But with that being said, Flash, I think that kind of puts a bow on our first segment. Our second segment, though, is going to be really fun because we're going to look at the roster that we have in uh, the 15-man roster, and we're going to break down what we think the rotation will look like. So I know me and you didn't talk specifically on how we were going to do this, so there might be some differences in terms of how we approach this exercise. But Um, we're going to do that, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back. Fachi, this is going to be a fun exercise here. So I don't know how you want to break this down or how we want to start this off. But um, in terms of the rotation, looking at how guys, how many minutes these guys could get, I personally made a 10-man rotation for myself and what I think is the most likely 10-man rotation to start off the year. Obviously, there could be some differences, but um, how did you go about doing this? You know, I, I saw your 10-man rotation by names, and I and I do think that that will be the rotation. There was a couple players I tried to find some minutes for here and there because, you know, they might not be every single day or, you know, every single night players, but figured they would play a handful of months here and there. But for the most part, I mean, we could break it down by position. Uh, in terms of the rotation, it'll be very similar. A couple guys I can maybe comment on throwing them a couple minutes here and there, but they might not be lineup locks. Yeah, yeah. So the way I did it is I actually gave each player, you know, or each position, I gave 48 minutes because that's how many you'd log in a regular regular season game. So, and any regular NBA game tend to be regular season. But, you know, so for the point guard, you got a, a lot, 48 minutes there to that position, Fachi. So starting here first, I went ahead and gave 28 minutes to Tyrese Halliburton and the other... 20 minutes that remain to TJ McConnell. Okay. So similar stuff over there. So I had overall, I had Halliburton playing 35 minutes per game. He played 36. It is. He played 36 minutes per game last year. I don't think they're going to play him as much this year. Uh, And maybe they don't. Uh, But for right now, I have him at 35, but that's split between point guard and shooting guard. I had TJ McConnell uh, between 18 to 20 minutes per game. He played 24 minutes per game last year with the Pacers. However, the bulk of those was the uh, the beginning of the year without Halliburton. Yeah. So, you know, if, if McConnell was to log, say, 20 minutes that I had, Halliburton could be responsible for, say, 28 minutes. That would break down to 48, which I had. I knew Halliburton would also spend some time at the two, yeah. basically figuring some lineups where it's Halliburton and McConnell playing together. So, yeah. um Basically, I, I have Halliburton playing anywhere from it. It could be, you know, five to seven minutes at shooting guard. Okay, yeah. So I'll get quickly into my shooting guard uh, rotation here. I have Halliburton playing four minutes there to give him a total of 32 minutes overall per game, which I felt was pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, try not to overwork him per game and uh, allow him to do what he does. Obviously, there's going to be games where he plays more, whatever, yeah. but that's the average. Um, this is where it gets interesting, though. So for the remaining 44 minutes, I gave Buddy Heald just 26 minutes a game, Fachi, for this Pacers team. I feel like the Pacers have a lot of young players that are playing the guard position with adding Matherin, and they already have Duarte in, trading for Neesmith, those kind of guys, and Andrew Nimhart if they want to get him in there, which I don't have him in my 10-man. But I'm just saying it feels like Buddy Heald is going to play some, but probably not nearly as much as he was last year. So I'm only giving him 26 minutes overall, and he's going to play those all at the shooting guard. And then I have Duarte logging 18 minutes here off the bench uh, as the sixth man in the shooting guard position. So 26 for Heald, 18 for Duarte, and four for Halliburton for my shooting guard. Interesting. So mine was similar. I had Buddy at 28 minutes per game. Okay. Last year with the Pacers, it was 35.6. Yeah. So we both are in agreement. That is way too many minutes for Buddy going into this year after you've drafted Benedict Matherin and you're trying to find playing time for Chris Duarte as well. So I do think that his minutes will scale back. I had them scaling back about seven minutes. So I got Buddy logging 28 minutes. I got Duarte playing about 26 minutes total. 
That's between the two and the three right over there. Okay. So say if you were to trim off about eight minutes or so, that has Buddy at 28. Um, you got 18 minutes for Duarte right over there. So you're at 36-ish. No, you're not. You're at 46. And then Hal Burton would come in for a couple minutes over there. So okay. uh, could use a little bit of fine-tuning, a couple minutes off here or there. But basically, Buddy at 28, Duarte 26 minutes total, and Hal Burton playing roughly about five, three to five minutes at the shooting guard. Okay, so now at the small forward position, this is where I got a little bit different. Um, I have Matherin only playing the small forward, Fachi. Mm-hmm. Um, for my exercise, I just didn't want to like put, well, you know, some of the two, some of the three, whatever. I, I could have done that, but uh, I just felt like, no, I'm going to give him 30 minutes even. He's going to get 30 minutes a game, which might be a little bit high, but I want to see him play quite a bit because his rookie, he's six pick overall. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to grow. So I felt like 30 minutes a game was what I wanted to give him. I felt like it could be a little bit high. And if that's the case, you know, I'll uh, happily uh, say that I was wrong on that. But other than that, for him, I had him playing 30 minutes. Uh, I had Neesmith getting 12 minutes in this exercise, and that's the only playing time Neesmith will get is 12 minutes. And then for the remaining six minutes, I gave those to Duarte. So Duarte, for me, will have a total of 24 minutes. Matherin will have a total of 30, and Neesmith will have a total of 12. Okay, interesting. So, uh, you know, we're we're pretty close on some things. I had Bennett Matherin playing 26 to 28 minutes, so we could just put it at 27, just okay. take it evenly. It was <laughs> okay. hard, hard to predict because, you know, Hey, he's a rookie. You haven't really seen it yet. I looked at Duarte as, as a sample size. Duarte played 28 minutes per game last year, so I figured it would be similar, but I got a couple minutes less. O'Shea was the guy that I was like, hmm. So O'Shea in a contract year, I could see him playing well. I had him at 25 minutes per game. Last year, it was 23.3. So what did you have O'Shea at again? I didn't have O'Shea in my small forwards. I had okay. him playing power forward. Okay. So this is where things got you know a little bit tough because, you know, there's a couple guys that you know could be playing more time at the two or they could slide down to three anyway for Neesmith I had him at 14 minutes per game oh wow more than me yeah and that was pretty surprising I I thought you'd be a little bit higher on him because I know you're higher on him than I am (laughs) well I think I think part of it too is you didn't like specifically write down 48 minutes for each position exactly if I was just guessing I could have guessed 14 to 15 minutes a game like I could easily take three minutes off Matherin and make it 27 and give Neesmith 15 and it yeah. worked out fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I figured, you know, six minutes in each half would make some sense. Yeah. Uh, you got to play these guys. Duarte, Matherin is who I want to see together a lot. Exactly. So, you know, I think Duarte should be the first seven for Buddy Heald every time in the game. But we'll see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we will see that. We'll see. Um, Neesmith, that was the guy that I was like, man, I, you know, just you want I want to believe he played 11 minutes per game last year, but was not in the rotation enough for Boston. So having him at 14 is me just having faith that hey, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna step it up and he'll be getting more minutes. But overall, it's small forward. Look, Kendall Brown, we know two-way player, don't see him in the rotation, so I did not factor in minutes for him. And then I mentioned uh, about eight minutes or so I, I had for Duarte kind of sliding down to the three. So mm-hmm. if overall for him, you know, it was hard to break down an exact minute, uh, you know, uh, divide between the two and the three. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, power forward is a fun and interesting position. I have Jalen Smith getting 22 minutes here, Fachi. 22, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have him playing some at the center, though, so don't freak out. Okay, all uh, right. I've got O'Shea playing. 22 minutes here at the four. And then I have Isaiah Jackson picking up the other four minutes at the four in case they want to play him with miles for a few minutes per game or um, with Jalen, however they want to go about doing that. Who's the four, who's the five. It doesn't matter. But for the 48 minutes there, I was trying to find a way to get I Jackson there at the four a little bit, not Mm -hmm. just at the five. Um, O'Shea is going to be capped out there at 22 minutes a game. Um, I honestly, I wish I would have looked at what they got last year, but I felt like it was so hard to tell because of all the injuries. So I just started from scratch and guessed. Um, but for me, I got Smith at 22, Brissett at 22, and Ijax at four for the power forward. And then I'll give you their totals once I get to the center position. Okay. So I had Jalen Smith a little bit higher. I felt like, hey, you know, you, you had to give this guy less money, but you, you gave him a starting gig. So I felt like I looked at it 24.7 minutes per game is what he played last year as a pacer. I had him sliding up a little bit to 26 minutes. Okay, so, so we have 20. I have 26 too. I gave him four minutes at the center. Okay, I just gave him 26 total. 
So yeah. I guess we're in agreement over there. Yeah. Um, because I figured, look, a 1.3 minute, you know, improvement. It's nothing crazy, but hey, he, he took less money, so give him more playing time. Right. Um, Isaiah Jackson, I had at 22 minutes per game total. Okay. Um, I, I have him at 20. 20. Okay, so yeah, we're very so close. He was so at four 15. at the power forward and 16 at the center. Mm-hmm. So he was at 15 minutes per game last year. So it's important to give him an uptick over there. So I, I had his 22 minutes being divided between the four and the five, just like you mentioned. Gotcha. Um, what about I, Brissett? What did you say for him? I had 25 minutes per game. 25. Okay. So you have 22, 22. A little mm-hmm. bit less. Yeah. So overall, you know, I'd say within everybody, we're within about two minutes of each other. So. Well, you, you know, got extra minutes because you didn't do it for exactly. <laughs> so you know, maybe I'm the guy that needs to trim off a minute or two over here. But <laughs> I basically I did I went a different route than you work. I did factor in last year's playing time, and uh, I try to big for certain guys try to give a little bit more, like an extra minute and a half or so. So O'Shea at 25 minutes per game. Uh, you know, entering a contract year, I guess I just believe that he'll play well to get a raise. So maybe that equates to a couple more minutes. Yeah. Um, Sadly, Terry Taylor was the guy that I could not predict exact minutes for. You know, would love for him to be in the rotation. But Alex, when I looked at it, 21.6 minutes per game for Terry last year. But pretty much all of those minutes were when the season was lost Mm, for the Pacers. Super hard to factor in. I think he's one of those guys where you can maybe look at Aaron Neesmith's minutes. And if Aaron struggles early on, maybe a slide O'Shea up to the three and play Terry with Ajax and O'Shea and Duarte and McConnell and just see what he can do out there as the four. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I think that there's some really positive things that he does off, you know, obviously being a great rebounder. Yeah. Um, I think defensively he's got some upside. He's a little bit undersized. You know, yep. that's the biggest problem with him. So I think you could look at it that way and take some of Neesmith's minutes away in my main rotation and give those to Taylor if you want to go a little bit bigger or if Neesmith just kind of struggles. Um other than that, I mean, he's going to be more of an injury uh, replacement yes. kind of guy. Uh, if Jalen gets hurt, then, you know, Ajax is going to get an uptick in minutes or Brissett is. And so then someone's got to fill in for them off the bench. And that's where I think Terry Taylor and or Goga Batadze could fill in a little bit um, just because I think Isaiah Jackson at this point in his career is tiny enough in terms of like overall frame where he could play the four or some. So, that's okay. kind of where I'm at with that. Um, I'm curious, where do you have Miles Turner at minute-wise? So this was an interesting one. I have Miles at 31 minutes per game. Okay. I'll tell you why. He played 29 last year when still split in time with Sabonis. Contract year, I do think that Miles could flourish over here, so I figured give him a couple more minutes. Uh, and if anything, hey, if you're going to move on, at least you've showcased him enough rather than not showcasing him you know, enough. I have him at 28, Botch. 28, okay. One less minute yeah. than uh, last year. Interesting. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was trying to figure out how am I going to get all these guys playing time? It's tough. It really is. We were doing this. Man, there was like a metaphorical little drop of sweat coming down my head being like, thank God I'm not Rick Carlisle. You know, this this ain't going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, there's times where they could play a nine-man rotation, take Neesmith out of the yep. rotation, and then disperse those 12 minutes across the rest of the roster, and it could make more sense, right? It could um that that's one way you could do it I, I didn't do that exercise i made mine a 10-man rotation just because i wanted to have a backup for each position but with miles i, I think part of the reason why you do this Fachi, is you have to look at health and you have to look at like trade value so if you're overplaying him you know it could hurt his numbers to a certain degree um it i think could. if you play him at a fair point at 28 minutes per game it it allows him to kind of solidify himself as that starting center. He's going to get the most minutes there at that position, obviously the best player there. But I also think you don't want to overexert him just because now you don't have as many center options without Sabonis there because I think the wear and tear of the 82-game season has hurt his injuries a little bit. No doubt. Enhanced them. So that's one thing I think the Pacers could say. Maybe we scale back the minutes a little bit, but like maybe he plays like the first, you know, like – if he's getting, you know, 28 minutes, you're looking at 14 minutes a half. Maybe he plays like the first 10 minutes of the first quarter, then like the last four of the second. And maybe it is the same thing for the third and the fourth, right? Um, where he's in there during closing time and crunch time, right? Uh, you want him out there because he's your best, you know, per, uh, uh, not perimeter, uh, interior defender. 
And then you also want to have him out there. Cause I feel like last time he played a lot during the first, first uh, quarter. It was, oh, he was never the first sub out unless he got in foul trouble. So exactly. And there was also a lot of times where you didn't even see him in the fourth quarter right. at times or, yeah, or right late that. in the fourth. So his minutes could be heavier early on in the game. And, and then, you know, as it goes on, maybe they're a little bit lighter. So definitely something to monitor uh, this time around. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you could even do nine minutes in the first. I'm just getting kind of specific here. But you play them nine minutes in the first and, like, the final five minutes of the second and the fourth. Like, just thinking out loud because you obviously want to get Isaiah Jackson out there with him a little bit. You want to get yep. Jalen Smith some time there at the five as well, in my opinion. Um, if you do end up going with uh, Gogo Batadze in the rotation over a guy like Neesmith, then you want to get Goga out there, and him and Miles cannot play together. Uh, no, no, you don't. So <laughs> that would mean Miles would have to be off the floor. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's really tough because I think minute-wise it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. But I know that we've seen different rotations from Carlisle, and they don't make any sense. Like the 10-man rotation you might think that happens during the preseason or during the first game might not be the same 10-man rotation you see in game two. So – that's kind of how Carlisle does that. And I think it's kind of smart because he wants to see what combinations of players work together. So he's a little bit more experimental with that, where McMillan was kind of chalky to a certain degree in how he ran his rotations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you also got to factor in, I mean, earlier in the year, I mean, there was a, a point where O'Shea just wasn't even in the rotation. Right. So anything like that could happen at some point. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys that you feel are very safe to be in the rotation, but I mean, you got to wait and see for yourself. Neesmith is definitely the guy I have my eyes on where it wouldn't surprise me if he does lose his spot at some point. It's going to be a proven situation because the Pacers aren't invested in Neesmith from like a draft capital standpoint or whatever. So it's not like they need absolutely need to play him, but they want to give him playing time because I do think that he's got more to show. But, you know, we'll see. There could be a scenario where – he could be, you know, kind of removed from the rotation. I hope that's not the case, but got to wait and see. I did, however, allocate a couple minutes for Goga. Okay. Um, because at this point, look, I didn't want to go off of what Goga's averages were because they were completely skewed by Miles Turner not playing in the second half of the year and the Pacers not being as competitive as they should have. So Goga averaged 14.6 minutes per game last year. I could see him potentially consistently getting maybe between six to eight. You know, he's, he's usually sometimes good to playing about two, three minute stints here or there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but uh, he's not doing a lot to help his case. No, I mean, if, if Miles and Ajax get in foul trouble, definitely going to get a lot of opportunities. Yeah. I think they want to see him a little bit more. That's I think why I could do, see though. him being in the rotation. I mean, but, it's a it's a contract year. It's do or die. He did he did take some steps forward last year. I, you know, and how much of it was in games that mattered? Pretty much nothing. But at the same point, you know, no one could say that Goga got worse last year. No, I will say this. I thought it was interesting. I I might have mentioned it on this podcast before, but it's been a while. Uh, when I was listening to the Draymond Green show. Uh, in the offseason, he was talking about, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson signing with the Lakers, and he thought it was a really good, you know, pickup for the Lakers and that he was a really good teammate and stuff like that. And one thing that he talked about was Steve Kerr would tell some of these guys that were in the rotation consistently, like, hey, just so you know, like every five games, I'm going to find a spot for you in the rotation on that fifth game. Hmm. It was one of those things where he was like, just so you know, you're not going to be consistently in the rotation, but I'm going to try to get you minutes you know, here and there throughout the season, one, because you never know when injuries are going to happen. Yep. And keeping these guys fresh is is key. And then, two, you want to keep them engaged. So I'm not sure if Carlisle kind of has that same old philosophy. Maybe he heard that. Maybe he's talked with Steve Kerr before and kind of picked his brain maybe a little bit. I'm sure they have as he's the uh, – he was. I don't know if he still is the head of the coaches association. So um, probably one of those things where it's like, okay – I've got a guy like Tice. I've got a guy like James Johnson on my roster. Uh, I've got some young guys like Goga and Terry Taylor. They're out of my rotation, Nimhart. How do I keep them engaged? Well, maybe in a matchup where we're going to be really, you know, big heavy, I'll play Tice in that game. Or if it's going to be guard heavy, I'll try to play Nimhart a little bit to get him some experience. So that to me is something to keep an eye on just to see if Carlisle tries to go about finding ways to, you know, 
intertwine the rotation with all, with all 15 players to keep them all engaged to a certain degree because the last thing you want is a guy just, you know, getting his feelings hurt because he's not playing at all and, and then getting upset and, you know, being kind of, you know, that bad apple in mm-hmm. the apple basket. You don't want that. So I think it's a really good idea, and I think it's a great idea that Steve Kerr does that. Just curious if there's any other coaches that adopt that same philosophy. Yeah, no, I, I would be curious, and I do think it's a good idea because, like, although neither of us have been high on Daniel Tice and what his role could be, you know, historically Daniel Tice is better than the guy that's not playing at all. Like, he is still a quality NBA player. Like, is he starter material? No, not really. But, like, he's still a, a guy that can, you know, contribute on a nightly basis for, I would say, you know, pretty much pretty much every team. It's just a matter of, how could the Pacers be able to find him minutes? Because a guy like Tice, I mean, last year averaged about 20 minutes per game to see him just not play at all. I mean, how could he be thrilled on a team that isn't really necessarily putting an emphasis on winning? So it does feel yeah. like you're going to have to find a role for him somewhere. Yeah, and that's why I think it was really good for you to have Jackson Gatlin on the show. I think it was last week you had him mm-hmm. on to talk about the rotation and how Daniel Tice kind of handled his role down there. And I think, you know, with Boston, it was totally different. But with Houston, it was kind of similar to here, you know, already had established players at those positions that they were given key minutes to. So Tice was kind of in and out of the rotation, fringe kind of rotation guy. And I think it was interesting to, you know, hear what, you know, Jackson had to say about all that. So, you know, obviously a little bit different perspective than what Keith Smith saw uh, with, yep. with him being on the Celtics. So, you know, it, it's got to be hard for Tice to be in the NBA Finals to probably the one of the worst teams in the East, yep. just like that. So I know the Pacers, there's been reporting that they've tried to move him. So would not shock me at all if, if he's moved before the deadline. I think it's more likely than not that they try to find a home for him for teams that need center depth. But I believe that he still has three years left on his deal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that third year is just, uh, it's a team option. Team so option. So two it's, really, it's okay. really two, because I don't, I don't believe a team's going to pick up that option, you know, three seasons from now. You don't say, Hey, you know, I mean, $8 million. Something, <laughs> something tells me it might not get picked up, but, uh, you know, for right now, I mean, it, it's just, uh, I don't know what they'll, what they'll do with Tyson. When you mentioned that he has been shopped around, look guys, I know this off season has seemed super quiet for the Pacers. But I do believe that they have been active making calls, but have not been able to find the right type of deal. And, you know, in the end, like, it, it's good that they didn't just dump, you know, Turner and Buddy Heald for a first-round pick three to five years from now and, and Russ. Like, something like that, how much does that really move the needle? So I think the Pacers know that, hey, the right assets uh, or the right trade package isn't there yet, but when one comes available – the Pacers have the assets to be able to make a trade work. Yeah, so you want to hear my fake trade that I like? Ooh, I haven't heard a good fake trade in a while. What do yeah, you got? so I was just thinking because I was listening. I forget who I was listening to. I think it was Zach Lowe was talking about the Memphis Grizzlies, and he was talking about Stephen Adams being that starting center. He's on an expiring contract at 17.9. Miles Turner makes 18 million, Fachi. So um, this would have to be – a, a very dynamic trade to be a three team trade with the Lakers, Grizzlies and Pacers. The Lakers are going to get Steven Adams and buddy heel. Okay. okay. They don't get miles Turner. The Grizzlies get miles Turner. Now the Pacers on the other hand, they're going to get Russell Westbrook's contract back. They're going to get Zaire Williams from Ooh. the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. And they're going to get a 2027 top five protected pick from the Lakers for taking on Westbrook. Do you like this deal or do you hate it? No, I, I like it because Zaire, you're talking about the 10th overall pick from two seasons ago. I know that Memphis likes him. That's someone that we've talked about. Probably should have stayed in college about a year. Super young, still continuing to develop. He had some, he made some really good strides last year. You're also getting the pick, but you're also getting Buddy Heald's near $20 million off the books for next year. Yeah. Overall, I see that trade making a good amount of sense. It definitely makes sense for Memphis in terms of being able to get a center that fits them now. It's just a matter of, do you think they would part with Zaire? 
I think that'd be the toughest thing yeah. for them to do. But I mean, getting Miles next to Jaron Jackson really does increase their chances of you know becoming super competitive, in my opinion, because I like Steven Adams as a player, but I don't think he's the type of player you win a playoff series with no. because of his you know, he wasn't even starting at times last year. They still have Brandon Clark. They still have um, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. So they still have players that can kind of fill that void for Zaire Williams. But the Pacers here, you know, they're the, the, the reason why you do this is the Lakers only give up one pick instead of both picks. I think yeah. that's kind of been the, the hold up the whole time is their inability to part with both picks. So they still have that 2029 pick. The Steven Adams contract is expiring. And they got Buddy Heald on that. I think his last year of that deal is only like $18 million, Fachi. Yeah, it's like roughly 19 Um yeah. so, so it decreases a little bit from this year, about $2 million less. Here's how I view it. It makes the Lakers better, I think, overall, just it getting does. us out of there. They only give up one of the picks. They get Buddy. They get a solid center rotation piece mm-hmm. in there, and Steven Adams probably a better fit than the guys they have now. But even if he's a locker room guy off the bench, I think he'd be a good piece there. They have terrible shooting, and – that's why I kind of like it. Buddy goes there. You you put Miles Turner in a situation where he can go to a team that's young. You, you kind of take care of him like you did with Brogdon going to Boston, and you you try to snatch away a guy in Zaire Williams. So the, the Grizzlies might say no to this deal. They could. Um, and I thought long and hard about maybe giving them the pick that the Lakers sent us just to get Zaire, but at the same time, I, I think the Pacers want the – future asset of the pick but the Pacers just need wings and I think getting a 6-8 small forward in Zaire Williams uh, could be really beneficial to the to the youth movement they have going there and I just don't know how Memphis is going to be able to pay all these guys you know they're talking about Dylan Brooks extension stuff like that so they've already got Danny Green's expiring on their books right now as well Um, he could be involved in a trade if they needed him to be uh, just because he's expiring money but a lot of different variances here, Fachi. Just a, a trade I threw out. I like it for the Pacers because, you know, while you're giving up two key players, you're getting back a young investment and at least somebody that you know there's potential with and not just, hey, here's this pick six years down the road, eight years down the road. Yeah, I would not want to give Memphis the 2025 Lakers pick. Uh, I would The 2027 uh, top five uh, protected pick. I would want to keep that. So – being able to land Zaire and that future first from the Lakers, I think would be enough to say, hey, we got up nearly $20 million off the books. We got a top 10 overall pick from just two years ago who's still really young and plays a position of need. And yeah. then to also have that Lakers asset, that we could walk away and say, you know what, we checked a lot of boxes over here. And I do think that that trade would be much better than what was on the table before for the Lakers, where you're getting two future picks that are completely up in the air, if lucky. Before at one point, it was pretty much one future first, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, Russ, and, you know, some some pocket change, I guess. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting deal. It would save the Grizzlies overall $4.5 million. It would save the Lakers $7.9 million. The Pacers would take on an additional $12.4 million. Um, and it would make the Pacers six wins less <laughs> per year. Uh, it would actually take the Grizzlies one win away. But I think when you remove two guys for one, that's kind of what's going to happen. Yeah. It, it, and then the Lakers here are getting plus six in the victory column by getting rid of Russ and adding Steven Adams and Buddy Heald. So, you know, I, I felt like it was fair for all teams in terms of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to build. But um, like I said earlier, I don't think that there's going to be a trade made anytime soon. This would have to be in the middle of the season. Uh, Memphis is struggling. The Lakers are really struggling, and the Pacers are like, okay, let's let's play, let's make a deal. Uh, you know, but that that's where it gets interesting, Flashy. No, that's true. And uh, look at this point. I mean, say what you want, but the the Lakers did add Dennis Schroeder to the team. So, uh, <laughs> you know, between Schroeder, uh, Patrick Beverly, you're talking Kendrick about none. Yeah, I mean, if he ever plays again, he should. I, Brian Windhorst saying they wanted to start. I, yeah, I don't know. And uh, they also love Austin Reeves, who it's just like apparently they said they point, view they, they view want Schreuder. him to start. I think it was Mark Stein that said that they view Schroeder and and Westbrook as their like point guards, and they view Pat Beverly as a defensive wing. Hmm. He's six foot tall. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what we're talking wing. about as a wing. Yeah, exactly. Defensive guard, sure. But <sighs> yeah, who knows what the Lakers are doing? I think they're just trying to accumulate as much talent as possible and. Their roster does look drastically different than about 
you know, a month or two ago. But, hey, you know what? We got to wait and see. I don't want us to turn into ESPN where we're just talking about the Lakers also. So, for us Pacers, you know, look, it, it was good to have a little bit of news. Is James Johnson the news that you want? No, it's not. But it makes you feel like basketball truly is right around the corner again. And, Alex, things are heating up before we know it. I mean, next week we already got some stuff on the books. Uh, you know, hearing from the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So next week we're going to have media day, Fachi. It's going to be a really awesome time. Preseason's just around the corner. But, um, yeah, we're going to have a really fun podcast coming up for you guys on Wednesday or Thursday. Not sure when we're going to record that one yet. But we're going to be looking at the top five and top five worst, top five best, top five worst moments and kevin pritchard senior here as the pacers president of basketball operations this idea was sent into us via twitter from pacers faithful aka chuck and jamie so i uh, wanted to give you guys a little bit of a teaser there because we are excited for that one um I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the great moves that he's made and some of the bad moves that he's made and kind of how that would have changed the trajectory of the franchise moving forward but Faji. With that being said, I, I think that kind of puts a bow on today's episode. Let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the page three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Google us, Setting the Pace YouTube. Go to YouTube, type in Setting the Pace. We are going to pop up. Make sure you guys give us a subscribe there. Uh, like all of our content. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast at. And please, we think we're deserving of it, but let us know what you think. Five-star ratings and reviews. We absolutely love hearing your feedback, and thank you all so much. But, Fachi, if your day has been going better than the Colts' day went on Sunday and say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a 